I'm Mark Stedman, and you're all a bunch of bloody loonies. I'm Danny Smith. No, I was only fooling. We are going to die after all. <laughs> I'm John Hickman. Long ago, I realised that a lot of things that I thought of as natural, like buying people presents at Christmas or stopping at red lights or falling at a rate of 32 feet per second, were just the habits of my own world and didn't necessarily work the same way anywhere else. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the leopard. leopard, 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 leopard. From the outpost, this is Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We are still deep in S-Town, so let's begin with another piece of VR equipment. Sensotape is another piece of VR equipment. In the first book, Arthur gets strapped into a machine that shows him how the um, Magrathians discovered the ultimate answer. We're all pretty much on the record with our opinions of VR, but can either of you think of any kind of media consumption experience that would be improved by being able to smell it? Porn! you think of some that wouldn't. Porn! Porny porn, porn! Porny porn, porn! Porn! Definitely porn. <laughs> really? Uh, Danny? Improved? Yeah, uh, first first to you, Danny. Uh, I think porn. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, the smell of hot human musk. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> Cherry lube. Hot musk. The tang of poppers. Latex <laughs> sweat. Who? <laughs> fucking porn. Are you smelling the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of sex in the 80s. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. So, right, with porn, I don't think that you could do the smells live. You'd have to dub them in, like, later. Like ADR for smell. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course, because, like, I imagine a porn set smells of, like, coffee and boredom. Yes. So they'd have to be, like, smell actors. Have you ever have you ever had a workshop with uh, with someone who does uh, radio sound effects? Because I'm here to tell you that I have. Yeah, I think I know where you're going with this. And they are always delighted to tell you what the, uh, what the real thing is that they used for the fake sound. Yeah. Um, so I'm just imagining you now, Danny, as the, the smell sommelier for uh, some, some VR smelly pour. The smellier. <laughs> Going, oh, yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, this uh, this is a, a cherry-flavoured condom, and uh, actually the correct way to make the smell for this is to uh, cook some ready break. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's not the actual smell of sweat of humans having sex, because that's not very nice. We actually... Uh, we actually take the smell from lions and um, and, and play it backwards. <laughs> the thing about a vulva is it doesn't really smell like a vulva when it's uh, digitised, so uh, we actually use this burning tyre. <laughs> and now it's time to dial one, two, three. Sassafras Magna is a planet around which Ford is orbiting when he hooks up a ship to the speaking clock on Earth and where Zazazians dock their battle fleet. Its son is Zondostina, known to Sassafrasians as Pleiades Zeta. Orbiting the planet are Epum, its small and blue moon, and the spaceport, Port Sassafron, from which Zaphod once bought a pair of spray-on pants. I really like the whole um, speaking clock bit, and it's a nice piece of um, low-level corporate revenge uh, against serious cybernetics. Um, John, have you ever engaged in anything like that? I, I wish I'd done something as good as that, because yeah. like like you, I've just, like, it's so beautifully neat. Yeah. Um, the, the closest that I could think of was when we used to get um, some sort of salespeople calling our, our office back in an old job, and we managed to pass this person around the whole office. Oh, lovely. Um, and just kind of tie them up in lots and lots and lots of loops. Just and, escalating it, yeah. Mm, 
And eventually we told him that the person he needed to speak to was called Gary Barlow. <laughs> and um, I, uh, I remember saying that I was putting him through and that Gary Barlow was going to come on and then my mate said something really rude and then passed the phone back. And Ooh. my final line to the guy was, uh, he said, what, what, what happened there? What was that? And I said, whatever he said, whatever he did, he didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, because, so people that phone you up um, aren't allowed to hang up yep. in general, but they, they, they can't. So what I like to do is give them a good 15 minutes off. So I just put the phone down oh, and walk away and they can have a, a nice little break going. He's gone to get something. I'm like, I can't hang up. So, uh, yeah, they have a, a nice little break. I have got a thing that I did when I worked in an office and I'm not sure how legal it is. <laughs> So we can maybe... We'll, we'll, we'll retrospectively redact your name from the podcast. <laughs> okay, so I was working in an office, and this is a very large... Uh, this is an office for a very large company, a uh, multinational company, um, and I was part of an accounts payable department. Basically, the, the things come in, the invoices come in, and we pay them. But unfortunately, because it's a large company and all the company that it um, invoice uh, that invoice it that that, sp- that supply to it um, are smaller, they used to bully them. So, have you heard of a year end? Mm-hmm. So they have a year end, and that's like a month where they don't pay anyone, and basically all the money sits in their bank accounts, and they get all the the interest off that, and they just count the money that they have. Oh, we have this much money now; we can start paying people again, like Scrooge McDuck, basically. Yeah, they they they, they swam in it for a month, and then and then start <laughs> paying the invoices again. And these are little suppliers, man. These are like mum and pop delivering bread to the local, I don't know, motorway services or whatever. They did the year end, but then they started doing a half year end. So that was like, it's a month and a half each time. So it's like three months out of the year where they didn't pay their suppliers, but knew that the suppliers had no one else to supply to. And most of these little companies had built their business around supply in this big company. And because I worked on the help desk, I used to get all the phone calls saying, look, we need we need the money. Like, this is this is money. Right? We, we need it. That's how it works. This is money and it is ours. It can be exchanged for goods and services. We provided said goods and services and now we would like the remuneration that is due. Yeah, and, and uh, like we were just like, tough. Like, essentially, we were told the first, uh, the first year that we did this, the first time I was there, like, we wasn't told to give fake names, but we wasn't discouraged from giving fake names. Mm. So, yeah, I thought, I'd like, and this this was a huge process, and I, I went through, like, maybe three year ends and the, the three year ends and half year ends, and um, I hated it. I hated it, because mm-hmm. there's no good reason for it. So when I knew that I was leaving and it came up to the half year end, I pretty much put any invoice that came across my desk onto the emergency pay list that I knew would come out after nice. I'd left. Oh, lovely. So anyone that phoned up and said, oh, I need pain, I'd be like, that's no problem at all, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it shall be. You're a good man. It'll come out on the next 15th. <laughs> For these two weeks of my notice period, I'm the god of invoicing, and you can bow before me, I shall make your payments uh, appear like magic. Now, I don't know if that's fraud. I don't know if that's 
uh, espionage. I don't know. It's not illegal, is it? It's just been. Look, I wouldn't have thought so. They gave you that power, mate. It's you know, you're not breaking any. It might be naughty, but it's not illegal. I um, I, there's there's something quite delightful, which I think um, to bring it back to the topic of the podcast. Sorry to be such a fucking bore. Uh, my job. I think Douglas Adams would quite like the idea of this company going. Oh, during our year end, we've managed to trick everyone into thinking we can't pay any invoices for a month. Let's have a half year end. Yeah. Maybe a quarter year end. Now it's a month end. Yeah. <laughs> now we've got a week out of every month where we just we just don't pay anyone. That's, there's, that's just a beautiful piece of bureaucracy where you, where where there's there's some prototype who isn't Danny mm-hmm. sat on the end of the line going, "Well, you can't pay invoices in year end." Well, one of my jobs. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I really, really, I really do like that. Oh, Dan, I, I wish I had done corporate sabotage at that level. There's a thing where if you get sent a free post envelope, mm-hmm. that envelope is good for like a huge amount of physical stuff. Like you can yes. send them back, you can send them back a brick if you wanted. Useful to know. And they, they get, they get metered at the, at the far end so they don't know what's going to come through. Yeah. So you sell a tape it to a brick and, and, and pop it back to them. Yeah. You, you must always, if your local consumer Conservative um, uh, representative, you know, whether it's an MP or a prospective parliamentary candidate, if if they send you a free post envelope, you must always use it because mm-hmm. it drains them of funds. So that one of the things I was going to bring up in terms of it's not kind of corporate, but um, it ties up to that idea of uh, wasting someone's time and resource. There's there's quite a big online subculture of people who take four one nine scammers as far as possible without giving them any bank details. What is one of those? The 419 scam is the email that you get saying, um, hello, my father has died in a war oh, right. and I have a million okay. pounds and you are my trusted associates and, mm. and if I can move it through your account because this place is blacklisted, then blah, blah, blah. Also known as the advance fee scam. Advance fee scams, exactly. So the idea of an advance fee scam is if you pay this much money to this thing, then we can move the bigger thing to you and you get to keep a large chunk of the big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it operates on a level from uh, people saying there's millions of pounds to come over here, but then another one that's a little bit more low level, which is oh, this this parcel's coming to you, but there's a mm-hmm. there's a there's a tax. Can you just pay the tax? And uh, so for that one, they get like ten bucks each time. Uh, the 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 four one nine scam is the is the kind of Nigerian subset of these things, and there are. Um, there is a subculture, I think it's basically in Reddit, of people who, when they get a 419 scam email with somebody asking for their sort code and their account number, they enter into a dialogue and they, they play as the, the kind of the, uh, the mark that the scammer thinks they've got, which, which essentially is someone who's not very internet savvy, not very confident. They play that character very, very, very well, mm-hmm. but they play it with a little spin of, oh, I'm just, oh, someone's told me to be a bit wary of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you help me out here? And they start setting things to do. Um, I, I, when I, uh, I remember like reading a whole kind of, uh, it was an article in like Vice or something like that about people who'd taken on 419 scammers. But one of the best ones was they got the scammer to the point where he appeared in a photograph with a duck on his head <laughs> to, to prove his intent. And uh, speaking as we were of serious cybernetics, share and enjoy is the company motto of the hugely successful serious cybernetics corporation complaints division, which now covers the major land masses of three medium-sized planets and is the only part of the corporation to have shown a significant profit in recent years. 
We all know about the three-mile-high illuminated letters, but for those who aren't aware, there's a company song which is sung by robots programmed with customary serious cybernetics ingenuity to sing completely out of tune. I used to, uh, and I still do, uh, put a lot of things on the internet, things that I've written, uh, all good and nice, all up on the internet. And whenever I sh- like put them out on social media, I would always end the posts with share and enjoy. Share and enjoy. Share and enjoy. It was... It was a Hitchhiker's reference, but without making it obvious it's a Hitchhiker's reference. It wasn't really for anyone except for the people that got it and myself. Absolutely, yeah, crucially, yeah. But I've been thinking about this, and there's a lot of things that I do that are that particular thing. Mm-hmm. You quote a thing, and it's just pleasing yourself. Mm-hmm. So, for example, who doesn't, when anybody says trampoline, reply with trampoline? Trampoline! Trampoline! So my my two things like this, which come directly from The Simpsons, are um, if if somebody tries to um, make an acronym of something, I will go X does not abbreviate, which is reference to uh, when Homer changed his name to Max Power, mm. and he he went into a, a shop to buy some clothing, and they were offering him a monogram shirt. And they mm-hmm. said, oh, yeah, we put MP on it. And he went, no, no, no. Max Power does not abbreviate. <laughs> There's a couple from uh, Ghostbusters that I always Ooh. do. Uh, some dogs living together. Uh, whenever I'm near a piano, I always <laughs> get my top two fingers and press the top two notes. <laughs> and if anybody notices me doing it, always, they hate this. So I've got a couple. And one of them I, I only um, just remembered about 20 minutes ago. Uh which is from Hitchhiker's Guide, and it's uh, it's from specifically the radio show, um, as as a lot of these things are the things that I remember from the radio show, um, and it's because of the ways that things are said. And so there's the interrogation scene. I, I think it was actually John talking about. So listener, um, to peek behind the curtain here, we've been drinking. Don't tell them um, that they don't need to know. So John was talking about having a gin and tonic and gin and tonics. Gin and tonics. There's a discussion on the B arc. Um, and they, they've got this, uh, this horrible, uh, number two, um, who is, uh, interrogating the passengers as to what drink they want. What do you want to drink? Well, the gin and tonic sounds very nice to me, Arthur. What? Oh, yes. With ice or without? Oh, with, please. Lemon! Oh, yes, please. Any time, like, when I've had to cook and I've had to get a lemon from the fridge, I will, out loud, to myself, being the only person in the flat, going, LEMON! <laughs> Just make me, please. <laughs> It's satisfying though, isn't it? It's like you're not ple- you're not pleasing anyone but yourself. You just make a tiny little joke that pleases you. It's wonderful. Um, and the the other one is it's much much simpler and much plainer, but much more obscure. Is if anyone um, starts uh, with the phrase "I've got a question," 
then I have to respond with email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com, which is a jingle from the answer me this podcast. And anytime anyone's a big, and it does happen, people do say, I've got a question. I'm on a bounds to uh, bring up something <clears throat> which I know is uh, a joke that is shared with some listeners of the show. Mm. Which is, um, a couple of years ago, I was around at some friends of the show's house and, uh, they were talking about their Christmas arrangements. And, um, there's some, some sort of schism I don't fully understand about what to put on crackers after Christmas lunch. And somebody said that, um, a member of the family was bringing their own personal cheeses. <laughs> Can you see where this is going? <laughs> yes, some cheeses who really care. Yeah, something to put on toast, no need to boast. Uh, <laughs> oh, lovely. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. When I'm working with young people and they come up with um, a lie, because that's what teenagers do, they, uh, they lie, I will sometimes look at a camera that isn't there <laughs> oh, always got to look to camera. Always look to camera. I raise a Tim Curry eyebrow and go, and go how about that? <laughs> <laughs> From the song Sweet Transvestite. Do they get it? No, they never get it. They don't. It's not for them. That's not for them, yeah. <laughs> That's one for Danny. That's one for me. <laughs> <laughs> And now for a segment that is very stylish and fashion conscious. Many years ago, Brontotol, or Frogstar World B, delete is appropriate, was a thriving, happy planet. Except that on the high streets of these cities, there were slightly more shoe shops than might have been thought necessary. And slowly the numbers of these shops increased until it became no longer economically possible to build anything other than shoe shops, resulting in collapse, ruin and famine. John, is the UK nearing a charity shop horizon? I think we've gone past it, mate. We are we are now past the point of no return. There is no coming back from this. The, the only we are at fifty one percent charity shops. Yeah, well, how many percent? Fifty one percent. Fifty one percent. You know, we, we've gone past the the turning point. You know, we, we are now. There are more charity shops than there are not charity. Oh, shops. At the end of the day, well, what I think is right. Like we voted for it. Like why have we left? Why have we left a charity <laughs> shop the, yet? Right? Not that kind of. At the end of the day, right? Fifty one percent of us voted for a charity shop. Right? So why am I not in a charity shop right now? Right? Oh my god! I can't believe I triggered you with a number. <laughs> oh, Mark, get over it, Snowflake. You lost. <laughs> Let's all get on the charity shop right now and let's look for some shoes that happen to be the style that we want and the size that we are. Look, and let's wear those and go to a party. A bad charity shop is better than no. Because my problem with charity shops is this, is that I am the person who can go to a charity shop with some woke idea that it would be great to not, re <laughs> not buy something new. Let's reuse things. Let's give some money to the charity and I'll go in and there's just garbage for me. But I... I'm going to propose that my esteemed colleague, Danny Smith, can walk into any charity shop and walk out looking like a million dollars because Danny is that guy, as is my sister-in-law, and she's not a guy, they are those people who can go to either a charity shop or TK Maxx and come up 
absolutely golden from the absolute kind of chaos theory of the stock that's available. I can't do it. I can't go into a charity shop and buy anything that I want. Danny, I reckon that if I gave you £10, you could get a new wardrobe and you would look better than I ever will. <laughs> the fucking shade of it all. <laughs> it's not a shade. It's not a shade. I admire it and I respect no, it. No, I, I, I get this because I only this year really discovered the wonders of the charity shop. So my, my um, the thing that, like Danny said, like I'm, I'm putting shade on him, but like th- seriously, right? If Mark Steadman dug deep into the show's budget <laughs> and he came up with, I don't know, probably about 40 quid. Oh, from all the merch that we've sold, John. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and said, right, 40 pound each, Danny, John, John, Danny, uh, you're going to go into a, a, an equally weighted charity shop. Not the same charity shop because then we'd be cannibalizing off, off each other. But like, I'm not saying one of us is going to Mosley charity shops and one of us is going to, um, certain Coldfield charity shops. That would be, that would be unfair. Let's say, um, you're going to Tisley and I'm going to Acox Green. Right, there's a level playing field, is what I'm saying. Yeah. There, there are yeah. shops in in identical wards. They're not, not, no, nothing's any cooler. If I went in with twenty quid, I would come out with a dead man's suit that smelled of mothballs, <laughs> right, and some shoes that were pointy and shiny, and maybe a spare tie. And Danny would come out with uh, a leather jacket. Some drainpipe jeans, some Dr. Martins, and probably a nice dress that looks really good on him and makes his pins look killer. Yeah. You know, and you know, John Bounds is going to come out there looking like a sartorial superstar. Like, oh, you know, he's he's going to come out with uh, a shell suit that only he can wear. <laughs> Anyone else wears it? It just looks like you're trying to be ironic. John wears it. It looks like he's just taken it out of his cupboard. He's the working class hero. Yeah. He's going to have some, he's going to have some, uh, some really good Donlop trainers. Mm-hmm. Like a fairly, fairly crisp pair of those. Yeah. And, uh, he's going to have even been able to get a towel, to be honest. <laughs> of course he is. And I'm just going to look like a garbage human. Right. The, the trick is either you have to have a very, very clearly defined aesthetic like John mm. or just look good wearing anything like Are me. You, yeah. <laughs> just basically be a natural clothes horse and you're fine. Charity shop wise, I'm, uh, I'm a bottom. <laughs> 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 you're you're submissive to the charity show yeah like they just uh, i just give uh, it's fine it's fine it, it is it is what it is and now a very quick mention of something highly obscure sure but sweet uh, aka suck you bus is a robot that uh, dispenses post on the starship titanic Played by Douglas Adams, who basically just had to cough into a microphone. Sadly, um, other John isn't here to tell us whether this character got fleshed out in the Terry Jones book. Um, so in lieu of that wisdom, we'll move on to another hack rag. Arthur and his friends pick up a journalist from the Sidereal Daily Mentioner who was half mad after witnessing Prack do his whole truth bit. Uh, one of the trillions also worked for the Mentioner, but I wonder if either of you can tell me how a newspaper survives in a hyper-connected galaxy and even how it could operate at the scale necessary to cover it all. Scale is good mm. if you're a newspaper. Is it, though? Yep. Is, is, Definitely. is too much scale. Uh, good. All right. Well, um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, share and enjoy. Um, <laughs> is, is, is too much scale not a problem? No. Cool. Well, BTL podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> for the running of the newspaper, for the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the scope of it 
running as a newspaper, that's fine. It's good. Mm-hmm. Um, scale is good. For it's it's funding it that that means that nobody. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Newspapers are essentially uh, aggregators. They take information and present the information that they think is relevant to their audience, which is probably why they all skew towards uh, polarizing political views because it's easier to market to an audience that has an identity and identity is normally associated with what you believe and people will buy something that reaffirms what they believe. Yes. So that's all fine. It's just getting people to pay for it. (laughs) Perhaps because there could be a point where there is literally too much information to pass that newspapers and news, uh, news organizations become useful again, because they literally will go through the information, all the information that happens and tell you what's relevant. They read the headlines so you don't have to. What you've just put forward is the idea of the Daily Me, which is that the, the newspaper is a filter that presents you with news that is correct for you based on what we know algorithmically about you. Um, my argument that scale is good for a newspaper is a slightly different one and to understand where i'm coming from with that you need to think about how local in inverted commas or regional newspapers work now which is that in the uk a a local newspaper like the birmingham mail can achieve um uh, a cost-effective scale by basically repurposing content around a network so uh, a lot of the content that the um local newspaper where you are will produce is actually centrally produced content that is reversioned to use the correct media term uh for the local market so somebody will much like the way that a journalist will get a press release and then they will churn it so they will just add some adjectives and say that's an article um a desk journalist in Birmingham and a desk journalist in Manchester and a desk journalist in Sheffield will get the same article that's been written by one of their colleagues and they will just go, oh, John Lewis has an advert. Uh, our local John Lewis store is at blah, 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 and it's opening times of blah, 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 and then the rest of the article will carry on. Um, so that's how you get scale. Uh, so that's, sorry, that's how scale makes journalism work cost-effectively in a big world. Well, never let facts get in the way of a good time. One day soon, I promise, mm-hmm. you will ask me a question about how the media works, and I'll just go there. <laughs> That'll never happen. It'll never happen. I did an A-level in media studies, and I'm still thinking about it. That's the, that's the goodwill hunting ending that we all want, is the one day I will walk up to your door and ask you a media studies <laughs> question, and you won't know the answer. <laughs> Fundamentally, media studies ruins lives. You can't consume yep. anything without going, fuck off. What? Yeah, but really, I mean, what's the underlying message? I mean, um, you know, what does this semiotically uh, actually stand for? Yeah. Uh, well, what is the signifier on the, on the sign? Uh, what does it connote? Mm, exactly. So... Christmas is uh, approaching, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, And uh, we're going to do our Christmas special next week, which led me to think uh, about... So, to be real with you, dear listener, this is going to be... Because this was always a finite series, and I'm very aware of this, partly just because of the way my mind works, that this is going to be our last Christmas special. We've only had one before. Uh, But next week will be our, our only actual sort of 
prime run of the show Christmas special. And so it did got me to thinking about Christmas specials uh, and Christmas in general in sci-fi. Mm. And mm. yeah, and and some of the some of the strange examples that we've had very famously, of course John will be able to attest to this, um Life Day. <laughs> <laughs> It's the it's the pan-denominational space Christmas that we all want to have. Well, George Lucas wanted us to have. Yeah, we always want to get back to Kashyyyk. Mm. And, um, hang, on, hang on, I don't get it. What, what are we talking about? Life Day is from the Star Wars Holiday Christmas Special. Oh, yes, I've heard reference. I have heard reference to this. One of the one of the great things about about this is <clears throat> I, I've never watched it all the way through, but I've seen a few clips and I've seen enough photos. It's like how expensive really was it in the um, late seventies, early eighties to just do a bit of makeup properly? Because <laughs> they couldn't even get the Wookies right, and that's just putting people in a rug. <laughs> I know TV's got a lower budget, but like, what you want to do is you want to say we need fifty quid ahead. Yeah. To make a Wookie, yeah. and if you don't have fifty quid ahead to make a Wookie, say, why don't we do the Alderaan Christmas? Oh, it got blown up. Spoilers. <laughs> just literally no idea. A Wookie is the um, Chewbacca. Yeah, yeah. Let's have let's have loads. So, so the idea of the the Life Day um, storyline in the Star Wars Holiday Special, Danny, is that the Han Solo and Chewbacca have to get back to Kashyyyk so that Chewbacca can see his family, which means that what they've essentially done is they've written in from the very start in the script the need to have lots of Wookiees, and then they've realised they haven't got enough money to make people look like Wookiees. So they just like they just basically get Gaz Coombs with his sideboards. Yeah, we've also got um, the Discworld, the Hogfather. Yeah, um, and uh, Hog's Watch and, and 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 that, which I I like um, because it feels Christmassy. There's something about the the um, the wording that feels nice and warm and and crinkly fires and Christmassy. I might read Hogfather for Christmas. Actually, you got me excited Ooh. about that. Oh, there you go. That'd be nice. I think I've only read it once, and I've read most Pratchett's more than once. So I'm aware, um, in in some capacity, that there is a Hitchhiker's Guide um, Christmas special. But for the love of me, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I've heard a little bit about it, and I've also heard that um, Douglas Adams was meant to write a sketch for a radio. I don't think this was the Christmas special. I think I think they had to do a live charity event, and he was meant to write. Um, I think Arthur and uh, Marvin having a discussion, and because deadlines just go and then they're gone, <laughs> he missed it, and so they basically had to write it themselves. Um, so yeah, I, I I really know nothing about the Christmas special. Go go back to the Star Wars one. The, the there's this possibility that you will try and universalize Christmas to the point where it becomes a stretch metaphor. Yes. Which we, is every, part every, of... Every world has its own f- form of Christmas, basically. Yes. Yeah. Would the Hitchhiker's Universe have a fixed Christmas or would it have multiple Christmas Christmases? I like the idea that I, I, I think... Adams would have known uh, had had enough sense if you like because he he did so much about there being multiple gods mm. um potentially or no gods or one god that it, but we also talked about the fact that there's there's a very much an abrahamic god in 
hitchhikers as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's I think there's two strands that uh, that Douglas Adams could have gone mm-hmm. with the idea of Christmas. One is that um, look how ridiculous this is. Yeah. Like that humans as a species have decided that at this particular time of year there were shepherds standing in a field in the dead of winter and they didn't die of hypothermia. Like and and just point out all the all the ridiculousness of of Christmas. Um, but I also think there's that idea that like that does keep on cropping up in in, in Adam's work is that um, ideas have a kind of morphic resonance that. Um, yes. So the idea of cricket pops up in all cultures and yes. gin and tonics. Gin and tonics, and so I think maybe he would have gone down the route of like uh, every every planet has a light and a dark time, or a, a time where it's warmer or colder. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of that dark time, then maybe it makes sense that everybody gets together and has a bit of a party. Yeah, that's that's kind of what, how I feel. And, and and if you if you look at Christmas itself, like the, the pagan roots of Western Christmas speaks to that as well, don't they? It, it's not, it's, it's about life cycles. It's not about what that book says. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much about, well, we've harvested now. There's nothing we can do until spring. Mm-hmm. Should, should we just fuck about for a bit? Yeah. Also, the things we put into ferment have now fermented. So, oh yes, so let's reap those rewards. The only references in the Adams um, uh, books are the the bit that I did as my opening quote, mm-hmm. uh, which includes the line um, uh, he'd long ago realised that a lot of things that he had thought of as natural, like buying people presents at Christmas or stopping at red lights or falling at a rate of 32 feet per second. <laughs> so <clears throat> the idea of Christmas is, is, is intrinsically dumb and mm-hmm. silly, or, or the, the rituals of Christmas being a bit silly and unthinking, um, that's included. And then the other thing is uh, what Russell bought Fenchurch for Christmas, ah, which was a... Oh. This, is, this, is, this is good for us, this oh. one. What did Russell buy for Fenchurch at Christmas? Oh. A medical dictionary, yes. because it was in alphabetical order. Yes. Who else would think of putting things in alphabetical order, lads? Sounds a very, very silly idea. So all all the references of, uh, to Christmas are are genuinely earth earthbound, mm-hmm. but I think I think Danny's right. Um, it's it's like the the great Doctor Who quote: "All planets have a north." Oh, yes. I was totally I was totally yes. going to quote that when I was I was talking about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on that note, uh, we are going to leave you. We are um, coming back with the Christmas special next week, so um, stay tuned for that. You know, stay, stay subscribed. I mean, I hope you stay subscribed anyway, um, just because you like the sound of our voices. But um, btlpodcast.com is where you can find the show and show notes and various things like that. Uh, you will find Danny at Probably Drunk on Twitter. You will find John at John Hickman. And you will find me at I Am Stedman. Uh, so we're going to have. Um, a lot of fun next week. We know exactly what we're, what, what we're going to do. That's not a problem. We've figured it all out. Um, so you, dear listener, just get to sit back and love it. So uh, And share and enjoy. And, uh, uh, by, by all means, for the love of God, won't you please share and enjoy. This podcast is produced by Podient. To find out more, visit podiantproductions.com. 
I can't walk up a very, very, um, I can't walk up a, a long, steep staircase without saying, just you wait until I get you upstairs. Yes! <laughs> the things I'm going to do to yes! you. Exactly. Oh my, yeah. Right. Back to Ghostbusters. Whenever I'm going up a, up a long flight of stairs, I will normally say, uh, what floor are we on? I don't know. Somewhere in the teens. Um, tell me when we get to 30, because I'm going to puke. <laughs> 